Many thanks to Dan Pugsley for helping out with the edit of this episode. You can follow Dan over at Dan Pugsley Sound on Twitter. Check out his company over at CassiniSound.com, C-A-S-S-I-N-I Sound.com. Follow him on Twitter there at Cassini Sound. Welcome to Tone Vendors, a sound designer's podcast. Here are your hosts, Timothy and Renee. Welcome to Tone Vendors. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today in studio, it's Mark Pirro. Mark was in Tripping Daisy and Polyphonic Spree on the bass. In 2003, he started Placid Audio, the company that produces the awesome copper phone that we're going to get a chance to listen to today. Mark's based in Dallas. You can go find him at placidaudio.com. Find him on Twitter at Placid Audio, Instagram at Placid Audio. Uh, hey, Mark. How you doing, man? Good. How about you, Renee? I'm doing great. It's very cool to meet you. I, I met Mark about five minutes ago, and we've already been geeking as we we're plugging all mics in. So awesome. it's very, I'm, I'm very excited to kind of do this one. So tell me a little bit about your background. Tell me a little bit about playing bands and kind of starting up in Polyphonic Spree. And... Sure. I uh, just wanted to be a musician from an early age, and my dad played in bands, and um, it was encouraged. I was also encouraged to go to school as well and get, you know, a degree and get a real job. <laughs> but my dad actually was a musician for a living for a little while. So that seemed like a viable way for myself too. I had bigger aspirations than say my dad did. He was in a working band, but yeah, I wanted to make it. And um, I, you know, in high school, I played in little garage bands and punk bands and stuff like that. And then in the nineties, I met a couple guys and we started a band called Tripping Daisy. And uh, it took off very quickly. And it was a very good time, you know, for people that remember, that's the the dawn of grunge era music in the 90s and a lot of bands got signed a lot of bands got a chance because of that movement and uh we were one of them and i got to do some incredible things meet some great people and then we did that band for i don't know nine years and then we had to disband because one of our core members had tragically passed away and we just couldn't see going on without him and then uh our singer from tripping daisy tim delauder had an idea for another band and he explained it to me. He goes, oh, I got this great idea. I want to get like a multi-instrumental band. I mean, strings, horns, a choir. I want to have all these instruments. And I'm going to call it Polyphonic Spree. He goes, do you want to play bass? I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds really <laughs> fun. Let's do that. And I didn't see it really going very far, only because of the magnitude and the size. You know, I was like, there's no way we can tour with this thing. And within like three months, we were already going to England. Talk about the size booked. of it. How many people were in Polyphonic? Yeah. It started out with 13 members, but it quickly grew to about 23, and we, we stuck with 23 for a while. Now we've kind of <laughs> edited it down to about 17. But yeah, it was a massive, massive undertaking, but we've got to do some really great things with that band as well. One of the great things we did was we uh, were David Bowie's opening act for about a month and a half in the U.S. and North America. I feel like I've heard a podcast about you talking about this or somebody from the band talking about opening for Bowie. Maybe. Yeah, well, there's 23 of us, so <laughs> somebody probably did a podcast out there somewhere. But yeah, that was a, a big highlight, and that's just one of many things that we got to do. And that band is still active. You know, everybody's a little bit older now, so we don't get out and play as much as we used to because it's just harder to get everybody together. I just started a family. We had our second kid five months ago. Yep. <laughs> so nice. um, I got my hands full. Thank you. And Tim, 
uh, our singer, he's he's got actually four kids of his own and three adopted. So wow, yeah. Uh, so he's a busy man. But anyways, and then in doing all that, I got interested in audio engineering and producing because, you know, we'd been in so many studios and done a lot of recording. And I was that guy in that band that would, you know, when I'd get a piece of gear, I'd read the manual. And, and I, I was really fascinated by the idea of people that make this stuff for musicians. I thought, are they musicians themselves? Do they really know when they're making this stuff how it's going to get used? Or are they just complete engineers that have no clue? And uh, with the Spree, Tim was really into this vocal effect, and it was in a rack processor called an SBX 990, and it was this AM radio effect, and we used it in the studio all the time. And when we brought it out to the live arena, it sounded great, but it just didn't work very well because the, the sound engineers that were working for us never could anticipate or know when he wanted that effect on. So how was he executing it in the early days? Live, you mean? Yeah. It would be up to the sound engineer to go turn it on. He would so just be say, like, hey, hit this filter and, and go? Yeah, like, okay, on the record, you hear it, it comes at the bridge. So turn it on when it comes at the bridge. And no disrespect to the great sound engineers that worked with us, but, you know, with a 23-piece band, yeah, you're mixing and doing, of. yeah, you know? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, shoot, that bridge just went by and I forgot to engage the effect. So I started thinking, like, why don't we just have a microphone that does that, that d does that sound? So this is in the late 90s, early 2000s. I don't even think Google was around yet. I remember like search engines like InfoSeek and stuff like yep. that. But I remember looking around and, and looking stuff up on microphone technology. And uh, depending on what kind of mic you were interested in or trying to make, some of it was really simple. I just started experimenting and I came up with something and it was actually built in a PVC tube and it had duct tape around it and it didn't really have a mounting bracket or anything but I was able to get some sound out of it and it sounded like that AM radio effect and then I thought well if I want Tim to have this as like a real thing to use it's got to be professional and rugged so then I went to the hardware store and I started looking around for materials and things that I could use to maybe build a housing and that's actually one of the trickiest parts about making your own microphone and I found copper plumbing parts, and I bought a drill press, and I found that the, the copper was fairly easy to drill and machine, and I made the first copper phone. And it looks like a pipe bomb. <laughs> it really <laughs> does. From a certain angle anyways, and I have a funny story about that too. <laughs> but it's you know polished copper, for, for those of you that are just listening and, and aren't online and be able to go to my website and look at it. Yeah, it's a copper pipe with end caps, and it's polished copper, and it's coated. And it delivers this AM radio effect sound. I'm seeing it right here in front of me. What is it, about eight inches long, something like that? Six inches, it's, actually. It's six inches long. It is a perfect copper cylinder with kind of a U-mount attached to it that attaches directly to your mic stand. So it's not shock-mounted. It's kind of more like directly mounted. Yeah. The thing is live like five inches from your face, and it's probably a very tight pattern because I'm mostly hearing the large diaphragm condenser that's right in front of you. So yeah. it's... it's uh, and I think by design, you kind of built it to where it doesn't really hear you until you step up and get right up yeah, on it. Yeah, it, and it, that's when it sounds the best. And we'll just demo it right now. So I'm on the copper phone right now, mic check one, two. And so it, it does have that like old school AM radio sound like uh, today the Hindenburg crashed and the stock market fell. You know, it's like that whole yeah. 1930s era kind of thing. So yeah. And it, it's and, a dynamic mic. Uh, man, it's just, it's so beautiful. I mean, the thing is... It's a work of art. It really is very, very cool to you know, look you. at and put in your hands and just, and it's got weight to it. I mean, the thing is, it's made it, of copper. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty rugged. Uh, some people would say it looks very steampunk. It is, you know? yeah. 
And then uh, speaking of this, quote, pipe bomb look, there was a funny story that went with this. In 2004, the percussion player of the Polyphonic Spree, who was also an audio engineer himself, wanted to borrow one of these. And after a tour, I gave it to him. And he lived in Birmingham, Alabama. And so that afternoon, he got on his plane and he put the microphone in his checked luggage, the luggage that actually goes under the, the airplane. And he got on the plane and he got into Birmingham and he went to pick up his luggage and it, it just wasn't there. And he filed a lost luggage complaint. And they said, well, we'll find it and we'll bring it to you and just head on your way. And he went home and as he pulls in his driveway, these black unmarked cars pulled in <laughs> and cornered him. And uh, he, he, came, he got out of his car and said, what's going on? And they're like, are you Brian Teasley? And they're like, yeah. They're like, we got him. And he's like, what's going on? And Basically what happened, unbeknownst to him, the luggage was getting scanned as it was, you know, getting ready to go on the plane. And somebody saw this and at the right angle, it looked like a suspicious device and they pulled it off for further inspection. And, you know, it was just shortly after 9-11. So, you know, people are still being a little, little skittish and scared about terrorist possibilities. So I think when they opened the bag, whoever was on the job that day must have, you know, saw this thing and thought it was a bomb and just hit the panic button and it shut down the airport. They had to bring the bomb squad out <laughs> and yeah, it was mayhem and he had no idea, you know, so he's back at home and he's getting interrogated by the FBI and he starts piecing it together. He's like, oh, I know what the deal is. You guys think this microphone I had was a bomb. And he goes, I, I can prove it to you that it's not a bomb. And we had just on this tour had played like the Leno show or one, you know, one of those late night shows and he had TiVo'd it. And Tim had been using the microphone for the performance. So he pulled up the TiVo and froze the frame. And he goes, there it is right there. It's, it's an actual microphone. You can tell. And they were like, okay. And then they told everybody in Dallas to stand down. Um, but by this time, the damage was done. They had canceled flights. And, you know, people, you know, had a, I mean, it probably cost the airline industry probably a few million dollars. And uh, I wow. think Tim was getting investigated, too, at the time, you know, the FBI, because I think he had bought the plane tickets for everybody in the band. So they were checking his background. In fact, they were going to his neighbors. They're like, who's this Tim DeLauder guy? And they're like, well, he's in this band, the 23-piece band. It's kind of like a cult. And they're, like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, no, he's in a cult. And he's yeah, got a bomb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, it, it wasn't funny at the time, but in retrospect and knowing that nobody did get hurt and, if anything, just people were a little panicked, it's a funny story, and it was great press for me. And right. it also had another really great little uh, benefit. So a few years later, I started dating this girl, and her dad worked for the TSA. And things with this girl got really serious after a while and, you know, looked like we were going to be getting married and all that. So, you know, it was time to meet the family. And anytime you're meeting a girl's dad for the first time, you know, it's a little nerve-wracking. It's just you know, one of those things you, you, you're coming in and you're not knowing what to expect or how he's going to treat you or if you're going to hit it off or not. And we sat down, we started talking and I thought, oh, this is a great end. I can talk about the microphone because he probably was there that day. And I brought it up and I said, hey, do you remember, you know, being at the airport when it got shut down because of this microphone that was mistaken for a pipe bomb? And he was like, oh yeah, I remember that. And he goes, we, we've got that thing 
I guess it was like a mugshot of it in the in the office, you know, so people wouldn't, <laughs> you know, they'd see it. They could say, okay, that's not a bomb, you know, that's that's an actual microphone, so don't panic next time. But it was a great icebreaker for for me and her dad, and then we hit it off, and it was great. So the copper phone's been good to me, yes. Yeah, man. So if you if you're flying with the copper phone, check that thing. Yeah, well, and that, <laughs> and that's what he said. He said they we know what it is now. So if yeah. you come through again with it, that's not going to happen. And I've flown with it many times now, and I actually take it in my luggage that goes through the scanner with me on the plane. That way, if they see it and they think it's suspicious, they can pull it off. They can ask me about it. They can look at it, and they'll do their little rub test on it to make sure that you know it's there's no bond, trace elements of yeah, bond yeah material on there yeah. that's funny so but yeah it hasn't really caused any problems since so. that's cool yeah. so so the concept behind it it's kind of a it's a frequency limited mic what's the kind of the the element of it like what is it that it's not a condenser it's kind of dynamic what yeah is, it's is it, it's got a moving coil transducer in it which is basically a like a tiny speaker and it's like a, any dynamic mic like a 57 or 58 it's a, basically a speaker in reverse. And um, what I found out, too, with a lot of dynamic microphones, the actual frequency response isn't electronic. It's mechanical. And it has to do with airspace around the diaphragm, behind the diaphragm. So what you house it in and how you choke it off or don't choke it off will change the, the frequency response. So being in the copper housing does affect the sound. And it also has a rear port in it. Mm-hmm. And it's that same thing like a speaker. Like if you had a guitar amp or a guitar cabinet, I should say, and you took the speaker out of the cabinet, it's going to sound different than it is when it's in the cabinet because it's using the airspace behind it to generate. Right. It's resonating back there and it's using that to kind of amplify whatever the the frequency is of the cab itself. Exactly. And so the best way to describe how the copper phone works is just like putting a toilet paper tube up to your mouth. You know, it's going to it's going to actually mechanically filter the sound. It's going to accentuate upper mid frequencies and chop off, you know, ultra highs and lows. Right. You know, so, so yeah, it's kind of the premise. And, and I didn't even think it was going to be a business for me. Like I said, I was just making this for my bandmate, you know, to solve a problem. And fortunately the, the polyphonic spree was actually doing really well at that time. And we were touring and rubbing elbows with a lot of great talent and bands and getting in front of a lot of influential people in the business. And I started getting requests for these things, you know, like, hey, that was a really cool microphone. I love that. Can I get one? I've got a studio or, you know, my band would love to have one of those. And um, I would just start making them per order, I guess. And with the touring schedule, it started to be like, hey, you know what? I don't want to come home from tour and have to make, you know, 20 of these things. Why don't I just make (laughs) 50 right now? And bring some with me, right. you know, and so that and I started getting into like small batch production, and I bought another drill press, and I started to streamline my process because anytime you make a f- your first prototype of anything, as you know, you built your own ribbon mic. It's yeah, it's kind of a a beast, you know, it's, to, to make something. Yeah, for the you're first learning time. what the hell you're doing. Yeah, so yeah, I started uh, just streamlining the production process and being able to go, okay, I can, I can do this one process, you know, 50 times over and have this one thing complete and then move on to the next and so on and so forth. So when people ask me, how long does it take to make one? I couldn't even tell you because I don't really, I don't make them one at a time. You, you make, know? you make batches of chunks of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, at any one time, there's some that are at various stages of the process. Like when I buy the copper, I buy lots of it because I try to buy when the market's low. Mm-hmm. As, as you, people know, copper has fluctuated in price quite a bit. And uh, so then I may be sitting on X amount of dollars in, in uh, copper, 
And then I take some of it and I'll go get it machined and get it to, you know, the spec that I need it to. And then I'll sit on those and take a certain percent of those and actually refine those into full microphones and service the demand that I'm getting at the time, you know. So it's kind of a challenge. In fact, that's probably the biggest challenge is, is being in production, making something over and over again. It's, right. it's quite difficult, you know, making sure you have the right parts at the right time. And, and this is all just you? I mean, I get some help. I hire, you know, musician friends of mine that need extra work, but I don't have like a staff of people. I have a cast of people that I can call on. <laughs> but yeah, I'm probably doing, you know, anywhere from 60 to 80% of the work at any any given time. And just to kind of step through what the work is a little bit, it's um, putting the capsule together, running the, all the electronics through it, and then the, the hard part, which is assembly or like manufacturing the housing, right? The, the housing is the hardest part, but that's what's the coolest thing about it. It looks copper. There were, prior to me making these, there were no microphone manufacturers making anything with any copper at all. And once I came out with this and did a couple trade shows, and because it's so eye-catching, other manufacturers started to put in little copper accents and stuff. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm having a little influence here. And people were like, why don't you do make it out of something else? Copper's so expensive. And I was like, well, I kind of painted myself in a corner. I called it a copper phone, <laughs> you know? And it really is like a visually distinct thing. So I'm, I'm happy with, with keeping it the way it is. I think that's, that's some of what it is, you know, and, and we can get into a little bit of using hardware versus plugins to achieve that kind of effect to talk into that mic a little bit more for me. Just kind of mic check one, two, mic check one, two. So that's something that you can do with a plugin. You know, you can work to it and kind of get there, but there's a different thing that happens on the performance side when you're actually working with hardware, you know? Sure. And, and you know, it's it's kind of like even monitoring through a plugin that's doing that affects your performance, but actually having a big copper microphone in your face that looks like that, that you can touch with your hands, that also sounds like that. I mean, that can pretty dramatically affect a performance when you're performing into a mic. Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's a psychological thing, too, when you're bringing, I guess, a performer in. You know, they're excited to be in the studio and they may have an interest in gear or, you know, microphones or whatever. But when they see they're going to be singing or performing into this thing, their eyes light up like, oh, wow, this is going to be really cool, you know. And that that's always a positive thing. So and nothing against digital emulation of stuff. In fact, I like that stuff a lot. I think it's interesting that you can buy a plug in, you know, like an emulation of a LA-2A compressor, you know, to buy a hardware version of that is thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. You can buy a plug-in suite for a few hundred dollars that might have an emulation of that. And it might not sound exactly like an LA-2A, but it's going to sound pretty cool. You know, it's going to be its kind of own sound. Yeah. And then you can have as many instances of that on your computer as you want, as long as the CPU can handle it. So I think it's cool. I think there's a place for both of these things. And I'm just doing this because... You know, it was started out as a hobby, and then I thought, oh, wow, this could be a cool little business. And now I'm, I'm trying to turn it into something more, and I've got other ideas and other microphones and, and other things I'm doing. So it's it's definitely feeding my creative uh, appetite for making something that's going to be around. In fact, these, <laughs> these things are going to yeah, be around gonna, for hundreds of years. <laughs> they're going to be around for yeah, a while. Yeah. Those yeah. things are built to last, man. Yeah. Um, well, you know, but kind of along those lines, though, the, the difference between like an LA-2A or any compressor and a microphone is you're not going to perform into a compressor. True. You know what I mean? And that's why I think when you're, when you're actually, and you know, this is, this is about 
it's about capturing vocal performances in a lot of cases. I mean, yeah, you can totally use it to record whatever you want to have that effect, and you can use it as an effect kind of mic. But I think the the big kind of advantage of a totally unique mic like that is affecting the human performance into it as much as anything. That's where having a mic like that is going to do something pretty dramatically different to what your final output is sure. compared to some sort of emulation. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have proximity effect and... Yeah, you're working the mic. Yeah, You're absolutely. working the mic. And, you know, is you know, is anyone that's, that's ever, like, performed vocals or come close to performing vocals, you know, if you're sitting there... And, I, you know, this is, this is a trick I use with voiceover telling a lot of times. You know, if I have somebody that's new to voiceover, not singing, but just speaking, right... And they're new to kind of that environment. I I will very often not send a feed of their mic to their headphones, because when people have a feed of their mic to their headphones, they're under the microscope. There's a subconscious thing that happens when you don't push as hard as you need to push sometimes to make it translate in the recordings, because you're already under the microscope in your ears. Sure. And so I'll I'll pull it out of their ears, and then all of a sudden they'll start speaking louder, and they'll speak more articulately because they're not under their own microscope in their right. ears, right? So. That also has that effect, you know, when you switch from not only just the monitoring, but also the, the mic in front of it. Because if the mic allows you to push more or requires you, I should say, to push more of physical air to get that same sound, you're going to do it. Right. You know, the, in, I guess to some degree, the feedback that you get in your cans from the mic affects your performance as much as anything. So dynamics, when you're singing into a dynamic, when you're speaking into a dynamic, you're going to push more air than when you're speaking into a condenser that's right on top of you. Sure. Or when you're speaking into a mic that's like right here in front of you, you're going to push less air than when you're back here and you're trying to project to a mic that's, you know, 12 or 18 inches away. And right. because your headphones are giving you that type of feedback also. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's an interesting concept. I think I just don't like hearing my own voice. And well, I don't nobody think does. I'm, I'm, yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that's universal. So uh, that's a great technique to, to let themselves hear them, or people to hear themselves more naturally like that. Interestingly, you know, when I created the copper phone, like I said, it was to emulate an, an effect. But uh, I had this producer, Jakir King, who's, you know, produced Kings of Leon and um, uh, Modest Mouse and Nora Jones. And he bought one of my mics and contacted me shortly after. And he said, hey, I wanted you to know I just used your microphone on the entire Nora Jones record. And I was like, really? Like she wanted a radio, AM radio effect the whole way through. He goes, no, 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 no. And he sent me a picture. He goes, I used it alongside my uh, vocal mic for her. And I can't remember exactly what condenser mic he was using with her. It was some Telefunken, big, large diaphragm condenser. But he had it right next to it. And he said he blended the signal. So they weren't going for an all-out effect. But he said that having the copper phone in there underneath the main mic provided something that you wouldn't obviously notice, but if you took it away, you, you could feel it. And she really dug the sound of it. So that became the sound of her voice on that record. And that kind of spawned this whole movement. Like I said earlier, when I was a, a younger musician wondering, like, when people that are building gear, do they understand how artists are going to really use this stuff? I didn't know that it could be used that way, yeah. you know, at least not consciously. Yeah. And it started this whole movement. And I have to be honest, a lot of people, engineers and producers, musicians will buy it for that same reason you know yeah they may want to have a obvious effect for some song they're doing but it's really cool to put one of these up next to your you know guitar cab mic and then just blend it in subtly underneath so yeah i have to give jakir king like props on that because he created this little movement not that people hadn't used multi-microphones before but an effect mic with a regular mic to get something completely different by blending the two together was i think uh, a little revolutionary 
That that really kind of comes back around to something we were talking about before we started rolling also, which is the concept of when you're producing art versus when you're producing, you know, something for commercial consumption. And when you're when you're making art, you get to do stuff like that and you get to you know, experiment and play and try doing layers. And one of the bigger differences is that a lot of really good art takes time to produce that is not necessarily going to give you a return financially on the front end like like you would with a commercial production. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a commercial production, you're trying to get it above a certain threshold and get it out into the world so it can start making money and come back to you. Right. When you're making art, you, you're trying to get it above a certain artistic threshold and you're working as hard as you got to work to get it to that higher artistic threshold before you're going to let anybody hear it. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it can get obsessive, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, these are the kind of tools that you can use to get there. That's that's pretty cool. Have you have you heard it used on anything uh, unique that's not the human voice? Oh, yeah. It gets used on a bunch of stuff. On my website, placidaudio.com, I have a whole bunch of sound samples, drums. piano but it kills on anything acoustic Anything that has kind of a lower sound pressure level, it's real sensitive to that stuff. Like you can actually drive the diaphragm and do like a square wave clipping. Won't hurt the mic, but it's not real pleasant sounding. So <laughs> yeah, so anything acoustic, it works really well on. I want to hear it on like oboe and stuff like that. And, and through the polyphonic spree, I have resources to get something like that in to do some sound samples. The challenge for me, aside from being a family man now and a band member and a touring band. And a business it, owner and a business owner is, you know, finding the time to, to execute some of these other ideas I have because I'm constantly trying to just keep up production with what I've got right now. So doing new sound samples with avant-garde instruments and things like that kind of are on the back burner because I do have a, a fairly good library of sounds to demonstrate already. And I've got tons of other microphone ideas. We talked about ribbon mics. You don't want to get into that whole thing. But the premise of Placid Audio has really been more about this kind of lo-fi approach, you know, when I, after the copper phone was made, I kind of thought, hey, you know, everybody in microphone manufacturing is trying to make something that approaches the experience of human hearing. Right. You know, let's go this other way with it. People seem to be excited about it. And, it, and for people that don't understand it, I kind of equate it to a visual analogy of like photography. You know, we have like high definition cameras and things and you can tweak it and Photoshop and really, you know, uh, play with the contrast and all that. But some people just want to use a Polaroid camera or a black and white camera, right. something that's not so perfect and kind of antiquated, you know. Or people break out Instagram filters all day, every day. Yeah, yeah. And but and it's still not the same thing as using a real black and white camera on film. Right, you know? yeah, that's a fact. So that's kind of the premise with all my microphones. And I have another one here we can we can talk about. Um, yeah, let's, let's check that guy out. Yeah, uh, so this one I'm get, this getting one ready to go here. to over here is... Uh, I don't even have a name for it yet because I just designed it. In fact, Renee, you're one of the first people to hear this. Let me just kind of describe what I'm looking at here. 
So this one is, um, man, it looks like it's about one third the length of the copper phone. So it is the length of my one finger, of my index finger there. It is the same kind of width. It's a perfect little copper bullet. It's got an XLR on the back that's just straight into the housing of it. And it's got another really beautifully machined U-joint that's on the thing that, that mounts directly to the stand. And it's got the, uh, the, the holes in the front um, for, for the entrance of it. These things are, what are they, like three inches in, in diameter or something like that? It's two and a half, two. something like that. Yeah, it's two. It's a little two. over two. So, um, yeah, they're chunky, chunky big things. But this mic uses a different microphone technology. And it's some of the oldest microphone technology that ever was. The first microphone ever made, well, one of, there were a couple, but carbon microphones. So come up on this and talk yes. to it. Tell me about the history of it. Mic check, one, two. So we're talking through a carbon microphone right now. Carbon microphones were developed in the late 1800s, and they were initially used in the telephone systems all the way up until the mid to late 80s. And uh, they work on a completely different premise. They're kind of crude and crunchy sounding, as you can tell. They'll always impart a uh, distorted quality on the signal. And it works by carbon granules packed into a little cavity. And when you pass a current through them, and you get the carbon granules to vibrate with the sound source, it changes the capacitance of the system, and that can be turned into a, an electrical signal that can be read as sound. I don't know if I fully understand it myself. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, it's amazing that they discovered this in the late 1800s. That's what I, was I mean, the I was Civil like, War had dreamed this up. The Civil War had just been, you know, was done 20 years later, and they come up with this thing. I mean, that is insane to me. In fact, a lot of the electronics, uh, Leon Theremin, you know, the radio, all that stuff. I mean, you couldn't go down to your local radio shack and get a capacitor. Yeah. They had to make this stuff. Yeah. Man, so, how do you get the housing so smooth? That thing is just, it is just perfectly smooth. Oh, thank you. I have machinery that we sand it and polish it down on. In that fact, that's really a, cool. one of the real labor-intensive parts of it, and it's dirty, kind of dangerous work, actually. It creates a lot of dust, and I have to have dust collection in the shop and, and whatnot. Yeah, and this particular element comes out of a uh, Russian military communication piece. I don't know what it came from. I found these new old stock Russian military elements. So, yeah, they get that real, like, intercom or, yeah, military transmission or even, like, a, let's see if I can do a little voice thing here like that. Flight attendants prepare for cross-check. Yeah. You know, that that, that <laughs> <laughs> pilot thing. And once again, this is the kind of sound that you wouldn't want on everything, but there's there's times where you're going to want this, you know, or you're going to want to play with this to inspire something. So what's interesting is right now that one's kind of, it's almost, we, we can do this Nora Jones setup where like they're right next to each other. And I'm feeling, I'm actually feeling what they were talking about. Yeah, there. check one, two. So yeah, I'm kind of halfway between this nice large condenser microphone and then the, uh, I'm going to call it the carbon phone because I already have a carbon mic, but this is a newer design of it. And yeah, so you just have this kind of clean with a little crunch underneath it, you know. And there's obviously other ways to get that, that effect, but you can't get it exactly the way it sounds right now without doing this. Man, it's, that's, it's very cool. It's, and again, it's just, it's beautiful to look at. I think I like, honestly, the look of that <laughs> even better because it's, it's so compact and yet it's so chunky. It's like both of those things at the same time. Well, and there's another thing. Have you ever heard of the golden ratio? Yeah. It, I kind of look at that, too, when I'm designing these things. Like, you want it to feel good in, in your hand, you know, have a certain amount of weight to it, certain dimension. Like, a Coke can supposedly has 
the golden ratio built into it. Interesting. So yeah, that is something I'm cognizant of when I'm designing these. Yeah, man, it's just like th these mics show up in the room and like you feel them in the room, <laughs> you know? It's cool. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I'm digging it. I'm a fan. Tell me a little bit about kind of the evolution of these things. Obviously you prototype and then things change. So like what kind of changes have these things gone through in their lives? That's a good question. Well, a lot is dependent on uh, parts availability. Like the carbon phone that I was talking about, the previous version of this carbon mic right here, comes with this little tone box. And uh, it actually is a phantom power supply for the microphone and also offers these different tone shaping circuits. But, you know, I'll find something. Uh, Mauser is a, a big uh, part supplier, and they're here, actually here in Texas. But I'll find a component that I'll like, like a certain capacitor. You know, it'll have a good price point. You know, good spec on the quality and all that and I'll start using it and I'll start building it into my my products and then six months later I go to order it again and it's like obsolete discontinued <laughs> you're like what and then you got to go through and you got to find something else comparable you know wow. and it does change everything that's what I learned too in audio or anything it, everything you do makes a difference but you have to ask yourself the question to what degree is that difference being made you know what right. I mean? Is it, so, is it worth the trade-off? Yeah. And some things you do, you know, it's like, oh, that is a little different, but I don't have any other choice. I don't have, I can't get that part anymore, yeah. you know? So I just have, to, this is the new thing. And that happens all the time. Like a Fender amp built in 1962 does not sound like the same Fender amp yeah. built today. That happens with know? mics too. I mean, you know, the people like the old Neumann U87 more than they like the newer ones. Yeah. Um, even though it's still Neumann and they're still U87s. And for the same reason, they're probably using the same schematic and circuit, but they can't get those parts anymore. Yeah, they can't get know? whatever the little, you know, pieces were that, that yeah. just defined whatever that sound was before. So, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of that going on, and that's that's really um, the hard part. And, and if I were in bigger production, it wouldn't be as much of an issue because you could order these parts and mass mass quantities but i'm not there you know I'm, I'm, I'm making things in small batch production style so i have to kind of go with the flow of where my suppliers are you know but somebody like sure microphone or neumann i'm sure they've got contracts to get certain parts made over sure. and over again for so many years you know because yeah. they're relying on it but yeah so that that's a an interesting part of of doing this as well um i want to talk about your are you talking about mic. that ribbon mic? Yeah. All right. So before before we started rolling here, I, I I built a few years ago this Austin ribbon mic, which is a kit mic, and it's a ribbon, and you gotta you gotta make the thing. So it, in the kit, you get some silver leaf that you use to build the ribbon motor out of. You get the magnets, and you get the housing, and you get the grill. The grill you have to cut and bend and solder it into the housing, and the the ribbon motor you actually have to build and assemble yourself, right? And I think I'm going I'm to turn around and, and uh, kick up his website. I think he's still putting the kit out. Let me look right okay. here. Yeah, this thing looks great. I, I want to hear it later. I can plug it in. Yeah, let's do it. And I'm so impressed with the build quality. You want to come work for Placid Audio? <laughs> <laughs> I don't love what I did. That's like, <laughs> I feel like I could do better. Yeah, but see, you just made one, right? Imagine yeah, if that's you the made, only one I made. made yeah. 10 of those. Yeah, there it is. All right, so DIYRibbonMic.com. Got it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen, I've seen that there before. There it is, yeah. Okay. And he's got a Blumline version, too. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I just, I bought the, I bought the kit. I don't even know what it costs anymore. Probably like uh, two, three hundred bucks, maybe. Yeah, two thirty-five. Yeah. 
That's great. That's a great deal. Well, and I utterly failed at building the ribbon motor the first time. I actually like ripped it in half. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> and, uh, very, very delicate. And I just straight up went to Hobby Lobby and got some new silver leaf and cut a new one from this. That's that is a Hobby Lobby. Right. That's up, awesome. Up and there. that's good though because if if it blows out, you yeah, know what yeah. to do to fix it. Man, you know, yeah, I would have to learn it all over again. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause this for a second. I'm going to go get, because the thing is, the thing about a ribbon mic is it really likes a high impedance pre. Okay. And I'm running into John Hardy's right now, and those are low impedance pre's, and I've tried it before. That mic sounds awful. Right. On, okay. On oh, yeah, get, get what you need. So I'm going to grab a different pre half full. So that's the ribbon. Yes, so yeah, here we are. We're, we're speaking through the uh, Austin ribbon mic built by Renee Coronado. Is that how you say your last name? That is it. Yes, so <laughs> it's very warm sounding. That's what ribbon mics are known for. And I think you can actually change the response by how tight the, the ribbon is. That may be true. Yeah, I think if you get it tighter, it starts to be a little more high-end. Yeah. So. You're also right up on it, too. Yeah. I think ribbons actually give you some pretty good proximity when you're right up on them, too. Yeah, check one, too. There we go. That's a little more yeah, realistic. Little... But yeah, great work. Yeah, awesome. About two or three inches off it there. And yeah, that's kind of more what it's looking for. Yeah, you know, ribbons Ribbons just have one of those sounds. Right, and it, once again, that's kind of the, the funny, funny thing. Ribbon microphone technology is an older technology, and probably in the late 70s and early 80s when condensers started getting really, really hot. People were like, why would you record through a ribbon mic? Why, why would you ever use this effect? <laughs> yeah. two, 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 two. And you know, the, the, I learned a whole bunch of stuff. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ribbon, front end of this guy. I don't have a marker on him. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go ribbon by the, by the condenser here too and kind of get that two, 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 two. Yeah, that's kind of doing that cool thing right there. You know, I learned a lot about not only how microphones work but also about the rest of what you're talking about, about the uh, the pain and the complications of the housing process. You know, and also just, I gained a lot of confidence in my ability to solder small, physically, like small circuits. Right, um, right, yeah. Because I'd never soldered, you know, on a, on a circuit board before. And you kind of have to do that yeah. <laughs> to, to make a microphone. And, you know, there's just a giant source of pride when you build something with stuff that you bought and it works. Yeah, no, it's um, very rewarding. I'm feeling real happy right now that this thing has given me a signal <laughs> again. <laughs> because, you awesome. know, it's, it's been a minute since I've even fired this guy up. I'm just talking straight into the ribbon now. This thing is fun, man. But, you know, when you learn about why, you know, microphone makers make certain decisions, I learned a lot about figure eight. Figure eight is a crazy directional pattern hmm. you know when you're on a figure eight you're on it and when you're off of it you are off it like it's right not yeah there. there's a null it's just it's just like utterly gone like the sides are just not even there right um, and and i think that speaks to the creativity in the recording process you know people will use that to their advantage people using the limits i think that's kind of what fuels creativity too well and you know people like to geek on frequency response and self noise of microphones mm. and in a lot of cases i'm finding that what differentiates one microphone from the other it's it's a self noise i don't care about it's a noisy damn world out there and almost never has the self noise of a microphone ever reared its head 
in any recording I've ever made. Sure. Like in a realistic sense. It just doesn't really right, Especially when you multi-track and then it gets yeah. it gets masked anyways if it's below a certain noise floor. So Frequency response comes into play, especially when you're dealing with like super frequency limited mics like this one or, or with like warmer mics. And it's not even frequency response. It's just how it... Um, they, they will all reproduce frequencies. Well, most of them will. It's just, you know, the relative loudness. But the thing sure. that matters to me a lot is transient response and polar pattern. Right. To me, those two things, like when you're dealing with microphones, they end up influencing your sound a lot more right. than a lot of other things. Yeah, and, and here's a question. Can a mic be built that actually recreates the sound the way the human ear hears it? You know, like, uh, it's like a uh, camera lens. I always thought about that, too, with, with cameras. Like, why is it when you look into a camera and you take a photo, it doesn't look like the way it does, the way your eye sees it? You know, there's always going to be some kind of influence there. You know? I, I think even if you did build one that did that, you'd never know because you can't reproduce in the same way either. Right, right. You know? Yeah, it's almost like that if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? You know, yeah. it's like that kind of same enigma. Well, you, you know, I think if you did actually have a perfect recording of something that did mimic it, you don't have perfect speakers to play it back ever. Right. It's just that those don't exist. Yeah. So you got two you got two systems that are that are imperfect. Right, right, right. Yeah. But it's it's like become a sound that we're used to, you know, and then oh, just sure. been able to differentiate what sounds good and what doesn't sound good based on that. You and know? we manipulate it as art, you know. Right. You use proximity effect as art, you know. You, sure. you, 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 anytime you turn on the radio, you hear the guys that are talking like that. Yeah, know? yeah, it's yeah. Just like, you know. <laughs> you know, and we use compression and we compress the living snot out of all kinds of stuff. Yeah. We do it as art, you know. Right. Um, and that's a whole other thing. How did they even come up? Who came up with those ideas? It's just, it blows my mind. I think yeah. in a lot of cases, it's a lot like the radio thing. It's a technical thing. You know? Right. Oh, like there was a need or a problem they were trying to yeah, solve. Yeah, you're, you're trying to squeeze a lot of information in a smaller uh, delivery packet. Right, right, yeah. yeah. I, actually, I'm pretty sure that's why compression and EQ even even came up. <laughs> right. Jeez. Yeah, it's amazing. But, you know, I, I do. I, do, I feel like I learned a lot, and, and I need to do more DIY stuff. I learned a lot about the tools that I'm using and it influences the way that I use the tools that other people make sure. when I made my own tools. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have a, a deeper understanding of yeah what's going on under, under the hood and how to take advantage of its uh, strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now there's a lot of cool DIY kits out there, compressors and EQs. And uh-huh. I've got this idea for it, like a little spring reverb thing too. I don't want to give too much away, but it would be, equivalent to that um oh it's like a little kid's toy where it's got like two cups and a spring and it's it, it's like this cosmic sound kind of thing it's i don't know they always equate it with space for some reason when you see the kid's toy version of it but i wanted to build something like that in a wood case and then put a transducer on the other side so you're actually getting reverb in a in a more analog way you know through the spring rather than it being electronically transmitted on one end and then picked up by a pickup on the other end, you would actually be putting in the sound physically. You would just set this thing in front of the sound source, almost like the toy microphones that have the spring reverb in it. Yeah. You know, once again, that's another project that's on my list of things to do that I'd never seem to get around to doing, but <laughs> I think it'd be really cool. It'd be really big and bulky. You know, Kid, have kids to be will able... do that. Yeah. Kids yeah. will slow you down. <laughs> yeah. We we used to do this podcast every like three weeks and now it's like, I'm struggling real hard to get do one out Do you have kids? Of... Oh yeah. I got, I got one little one. And... How old? 
He's he'll be three in October. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah we have a two-year-old daughter too, and it's it's an amazing ride. I it's mean, it's wild. It's yeah. the coolest thing. What I can't, if we can deviate for just a moment, sure. uh, what I can't get over with with kids is uh, two things: they have a whole life before two years old, where they're they're very cognizant of what's going on, but as you become an adult, you cannot remember anything yeah. much earlier than two years old. You know, there's a little science behind that. Yeah, and what is it? It, it comes around the acquisition of language. Mm. After you've fully like learned and mastered language, that's when your memory starts sticking. Um, oh, okay. Before you've learned language, your memory tends to not stick. They wow. don't know why, but that's that's one of those things that's okay. kind of like they're they're learning now. Right. I mean, very impactful things happen when you're young. You oh know? man, Are you like fall on your head or you know some crazy traumatic thing like that. You would think, how could you not remember? Well, you that? know, here's the weird thing. The, the thing that's tripped me about about my kid is he does right. So you know, we had a we had a dog. And that dog got old and, and, and got put to sleep, you know, before he learned how to talk. Oh, wow. Okay. And the dog's name was Buttercup, right? And so, you know, we lost Buttercup when he was probably just turning two, right? So he was just starting to learn how to talk. Well, in the last few months, he's telling me stories about Buttercup and oh, using wow. her name. And I'm like, holy cow. Right. Like, you, you totally perceived all of that. And you were cool with it, and and now you're you're spitting it back to me, and it's right. the craziest thing. Yeah, and that's the other thing I, I trip out on. Like my daughter will uh, just bust out a sentence, you know, of some of it's related to stuff she's heard before, but the the cognition that she's putting together, I'm like, how did she do that? Yeah. And then I'm thinking, well, I did that, and my wife <laughs> did that, and every every human being's done that. It's weird that we don't have this recollection of having you know, these like explosions in the brain, so to speak, of accelerated cognition, you know, we just kind of take it for granted. But yeah, that just, it blows my mind how, how the, the mind develops, you know, and it's really exciting to see, but kids are a workout, man. I, man. It's way harder than I thought it was going to be. It's, you know, they all tell you, you're never ready for it. And it's true. Yeah. But at the same time, you just, you can't comprehend it until you're in the middle of it. No. And we're getting a lot of help. We have a lot of family help. I can't even imagine what it's like to be a single parent, you know, like uh -huh. the moms that are home or they're, you know, the husbands are away, you know, serving in the military or something like that. Or maybe a mom didn't get along with the, the father yeah. and they divorced and they don't have anything to do with it. And the mom's like, I'm just going to take this on myself. Like that is one hard ass job, man. I, I can't, I, I can't, I can't even imagine you, a, a kid needs two parents. I mean, you need two parents to raise a kid, you know, I mean, it's very difficult to do by yourself. So, Hats off to anybody that's doing it or has done it. And if your mom or dad were a single parent, you should... If if you're just a kid... Just cut up a check. If you're alive right now <laughs> and, and you, your parents are still around, you should just pick up the phone, apologize for everything, and thank them. <laughs> so. You know what? As we continue, like, totally off course here, but one thing that I've I've kind of started to really learn is that as I hit the age that I'm at now, which is kind of mid to late 30s, and, and my parents are the age that they are. What people that are my parents' age appreciate is asking them about stories, about the mm. things that they went through when they were my age and younger. Right. They really, really like telling us. They, they like seeing our perspective and giving advice and also just kind of relating the stories that we weren't interested in and didn't care about when we were eight and 10 and 15 years old. Right, right, yeah. With regards to what they went through. You know? Right, man, yeah. No, it's the life cycle is 
mind-boggling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations. Uh, you think you're gonna have any more kids? Do you no, think, we're or? stopping at one. Yeah. One's plenty. <laughs> <Right. laughs> we knew we wanted to have two. But we didn't know we wanted to have two so soon. So that kind of caught us off guard. And uh, yeah, we have a boy and girl now, so we're we're definitely we're we're done. But the this fun is thing it. is now, like he's he's walking around going, "Dad, what's that sound? What's that sound? What's that sound?" And he's right. asking me to identify what everything sounds like. That's you know? amazing. And he's already, I mean, the, the child just breaks into my microphones and headphones and all of that. Right. And he really does like, he's putting his hands on it and learning it, you know, as much as he can. And, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all sure. Papa when he does it. But also, you know, I have to be open to him doing whatever. Right. Um, you know, my dad was a plumber and I sure didn't go down that road. Right, right. But you, uh, man, there's just such, uh, I talked about kind of pride when, when you build stuff. And, and there's a different kind of pride also with the kiddos when they when they start just kind of, learning about things that you're interested in sure yeah no it's it's one of the ultimate forms of creation right there you yeah. know you're creating something completely unique you know and that's another uh question i ask myself where does the personality come from and this is going to get kind of deep here but like, <laughs> you know is it nurture and nature? i mean how much of it is nurture how much of it is nature you know i mean where does where does the personality come from is it from a past life or something you know i i wonder about that yeah I mean, there's, there's, there's no way to know. Right. There's only, you know, there's only what, what is. Right. Yeah. And, um, Once yeah. again, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around <laughs> to hear it, does it make a sound? Did you have a copper phone to record that thing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. I, I appreciate the time coming out here. Yeah, um, man. Yeah. And, I, uh, I love, I love these mics. I think, um, I, I'll put the pictures that we took in the studio today up on, on the website. Um, okay. go to, go to plastaudio.com. Check them out there too. Check out some samples. They're way cool. Awesome. Oh, man. Thanks Thank for coming you, Renee. Appreciate it. Have All a right, good thanks. one. Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Mark Pirro for coming into the studio and hanging out with me and showing me all the mics today. Thanks to Stacey Dupas for letting us bend and twist her voice on the bumpers. You can follow the show at the Tonebenders and go to ToneBendersPodcast.com to leave a comment. You can support the podcast by shopping at ToneBendersPodcast.com slash Amazon or ToneBendersPodcast.com slash BH. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Tonebenders. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tonebenders on Twitter or find Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at ToneBendersPodcast.com.